0: Ephesians 1, if you would, read with me starting in verse 1, Ephesians 1, starting in verse 1, it says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, are faithful and are faithful in Christ Jesus, Verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. And we're going to stop right there. This morning, we're really only going to cover verse 4, but I wanted to read the whole passage there, or the whole section there, so that you would understand a little bit more in the context of, of what we will be speaking of this morning. So if you have your journals, we, we did questions last week, and I'm going to go ahead and give you the, the questions now that you may write them down and, and take note of, of what we will be speaking of and so we will know how to respond together later. Question number one is this, what does the Bible mean by election What does the Bible mean by election? Number two, who are the elect? Who are the elect? And question number three, question number three, do you consider yourself to be holy and blameless? As verse four says, do you consider yourself to be holy and blameless? And I have a little caveat at the end: why or why not? Why or why not? So those are questions you can answer as we as we uh, unpack these uh, verses together. So we've seen in the beginning of these of these last couple verses these, over the last uh, couple weeks, um, we've we've been talking about what it means to be in Christ and having our identity in Jesus Christ. And and what we are going to talk about today really starts this identification process of what it really means to find your identity in Him. And it starts at this first base. We also talked about every spiritual blessing uh, a couple weeks ago. I guess it was two, two, two weeks ago. We talked about what it means to have every spiritual blessing and what those blessings are. So as we, as we look at verse 4 today... I want you all to understand that we are being confronted with some very deep realities. Some very deep realities. And and, and in these deep realities, it it is very hard for finite man to comprehend. It is very difficult for a finite man who is here today and gone tomorrow to comprehend the eternal, the infinite. So as I've studied this passage this week, I cannot tell you how many times, how many times, I have been humbled by this passage. I can't tell you how inadequate I feel to preach the depths of God's eternity and His eternality. So I hope you you understand that when we speak of these glorious truths and this incredible reality, that I'm speaking to you in a spirit of humility. And I want you also to know that I, I am one who has not grasped all of this. And I would dare to say that there is not one man who has ever been able to grasp the depths of God's love here. And yet, I want you to to know and to believe and to affirm this, as I affirm this, that what I believe that we are reading this morning and what we will be teaching about this morning is God's Word, and God's Word is true. And because it's God's Word and because it's true, it is God's message for us this morning, all of us. So why would we, right, we've read the passage, you know what we're going to talk about today. If you've been reading along and following, you know what we're getting today. So why in the world, if we were trying to, you know, grow this church, why in the world would we talk about election and predestination when we know how divisive it is? Why? Why would that happen? I mean, I mean can't, haven't we already offended enough people? <laughs> right? Haven't we offended enough people that have walked away because of this doctrine? Why would we be speaking of it this morning? Well, number one, it's the next passage in our our study through the book of Ephesians. But wouldn't we just skip it? Wouldn't I be a really good pastor just to skip through that? No. That's a disservice to you. It's a disservice to the text. It's a disservice to, to the Lord. Charles Spurgeon said this about this doctrine. Of course, he has many great quotes about it, but But he said this, he says, There are two great truths from which this platform I have proclaimed for many years. The first is that salvation is free to every man who will have it. The second is that God gives salvation to people whom he has chosen. And these truths are not in conflict with one another in the least degree. Not to the least degree. So as as we've been unpacking this this text, we saw in verse three though the spiritual blessings. We talked about those, and we actually went through the list of what all the spiritual blessings that he names in that the following passage, and we'll be unpacking those in, in the, over the coming weeks. But I wonder this morning if I if we stopped this morning and just asked everybody the question if you could if you can list out the top ten blessings that God has provided you for, that God has given you, the top 10 blessings, there, there would be all kinds of things I, I believe we would have in that list, and, and I think it would be really beneficial one day for us to do that, but I wonder how many of us would consider would consider that in verse 4, when Paul starts out here, even as he chose us in him to be your very first blessing, the very first blessing at all, I, I, I wonder that. I wonder that of, my, of, of myself. I wonder that of, of myself. And yet, here is Paul unpacking the wonders of salvation from eternity's past. And, 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 and yet, here he is talking about the very first thing, the very first spiritual blessing that God has provided for those in Christ is election to be chosen. Now here's the thing, we've got to ask ourselves, if this is what Paul is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? God's inerrant word, God's truth for us this morning, if this is how Paul thinks of the spiritual blessings provided to him by God as well as to the church, if there's any other number one on our list at all, doesn't it have to be uh, subservient to what the Scripture says? Does that make sense? Is that, what I'm saying is, is that if the Bible teaches us something completely different than what we believe, who changes? Us or the Bible? We change. We change. And, and so right here from the very beginning, I want you to understand that a divine election, God choosing us in before him, choosing us in him before the foundation of the world, Is for our good in the very first point. And I'm going to say this at the end and I'm going to say it now. To miss it, to miss it, I think you are undercutting and missing the point of the gospel and the grace in the gospel. So here's how we're going to unpack this verse. We're going to look at four different things. The method, the object, the time, and the purpose. Blah, blah, blah. That's that's for my own outline for me to understand. If you're one of those note-takers, you'll catch them in the end. All right, so number one, the the method, right? The method. How has God saved us? First and foremost, it is by election. That he has chosen us in him. In him. And as we talked about, looking back to verse 3 for just a second, it is all out of worship. These spiritual blessings that Paul is praising God for. Out of worship. He ha, uh, that he is stating this to us. What we consider to be so divisive. Which runs people away. Paul has said, this is for your joy. This is for your joy and for God's glory. For your worship. John Calvin stated like this, he said, There is no doctrine more useful to illustrate the infinite goodness of God and employs it as an excitement to gratitude. That's the worship. This is the true fountain from which we must draw our knowledge of His divine mercy. This is the fountain. This is the spring. This is the love that is bubbling up is from this area is election So what does it mean? Let's define it. We'll spend a little bit of time unpacking this, a little bit talking about uh, divine election. This is the teaching that God chose, or this is just like the verse, right? Chose before the foundation of the world who would believe and so be undeservedly saved in spite of their sin. Listen to this. Here it is. Before the foundation of the world, This is God chose before the foundation of the world who would believe and so be undeservedly saved in spite of their sin. Who would be saved in spite of their sin. In other words, it's this. It means that in the the wisdom and justice of God's will is always... The explanation, the ultimate explanation of what happens in this world is all by God's wisdom and His justice and His grace. Humans are not God. Humans make terrible gods. Humans are not gods. There's nothing that we can originate ourselves. There's nothing that you can do from nothing and create. Only God. Only God can create something from nothing. We are not God. So we want to we hold fast here because we, we already feel there's a tension for the for the thinkers here and, and who understand what's really happening and, and, and this is still kind of rubbing a little wrong. That's okay. Should rub us all. That there is a biblical paradox here. We understand that a paradox, not a contradiction. Right? The Bible doesn't contradict. Paul doesn't contradict himself. There's a paradox here. That on the one hand, God is completely sovereign. Not, uh, not just over things in this world that happens in creation, over life and death, but he is sovereign even over salvation. God is sovereign. And on the other hand, this is the paradox on the other hand, we are still accountable and we are guilty for our sin and undeserving of God's wrath. That's the great paradox. That's, that's the great the great paradox here. So historically looking back in the old testament, we, we see a election work its way out incredible. We, we, can, we can list example after example after example of God's divine mercy being poured out and His grace being poured out on His people. Right? Starting with Abraham. right Abram. Abram in, in, in Genesis, chosen by God. Not because Abraham was cool, not because he had faith, but because of God's grace. Abraham was an Arab. Abraham was an Iraqi, right? If you look at the region, that's where he was from. And yet God chose him. Why? Because of his great grace and his great mercy. Same thing with Israel. Right? We we like the dog Israel a lot, right? Nothing special about Israel, there's so many passages I wish we could just unpack today and show you this that is by God's divine mercy and by his great grace that he wanted to pour himself out on that people. Look at David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Moses. And the list continues of who God chose, who God chose. So historically, we we see it run throughout the Old Testament, throughout the, the Old Testament. The second thing, or the next one I want to show you that, that it is running through the New Testament. And what it shows us in the in the New Testament is that God's election is unconditional. It is unconditional. And it simply means this. God's election is unconditional, simply means this, is that God's selection of those whom he would save was not based upon some fact or feature of the individual. So God's selection or choosing of the people before the foundation of the person before the foundation's world, not because he looked ahead and saw that, that you would one day maybe choose him. It wasn't because he, he looked ahead and he saw that you were this and you were that and you were born here or that you were an American. He didn't look at that. He did not do that. That is not what that means. If it was the case, then it would be conditional. It means it would be necessary for something else, but it was unconditional. God does not elect persons based upon an advanced knowledge. It's eternity's past. It's eternity's past. It's not based upon something that we would do. It's not something that, that are, or even about how good or how bad we have, have, we have been. I think, I, think I, I can't remember who it was. It might have been Spurgeon, one of the things I was reading. He said, if, if that was the case, God would have looked ahead and said, No way. He would have looked at me and said, No way. That would be conditional. Rather, it's unconditional. Meaning, it is by God's own self determination to elect and to save and to save. And this is where I this is where I want us to see that this is God's grace here. God's grace. That God is decisive in salvation. So, so if the question is, the question I think might might come up is, what does the Bible teach then? Right? If, is it are we just are we just pulling out one verse here, and, and building a whole theology on one verse? Are we building it? And and I'm going to tell you no and I'm going to show you. right? We're going to walk through a couple different passages, and, and I want to show it to you. right? So here's some biblical basis for unconditional election, meaning that God is decisive in salvation. John 17. Turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Read with me verses 1 and 2. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. This is what Jesus is praying This is what Jesus is praying. And this is what Jesus is praying for you, and He's praying for me, and He's praying for His church. Verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son, that the Son may glorify You, since You have given Him authority over all flesh. To do what? To give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. Not to all who might receive Him, but to all whom you have given Him. Look at verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you, have, whom you gave Me. Right? Look what we see here whom God has given him out of this world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Verse 9. I am praying for them. I am not praying. Wait a minute. Is Jesus contradicting himself here? Look at this. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me for they are yours. Wait a minute. Good theologian here. I've got to turn you back to John chapter 3, Jesus. You're contradicting yourself here. Is Jesus contradicting himself? I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for, for you. I'm praying for the, the object of my affection. The individual. The us. The us. The church, the elect, I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 24, right? Verse 24, this isn't out of the vacuum here. Verse 24, here we go. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory. And by the way, this is one of the purposes of, of understanding unconditional election, is that you, this morning, will see God's glory to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me. When? Before the foundation of the world. Let's turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. There's, there's Jesus. And if you, we want to go back, you can go back to John 15, 16. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. By the way, a little bit more clear. John, uh, Acts chapter 13 here. We see Paul and Barnabas in Antioch Pisidia and, and here in here he is they are they're witnessing to the Jews, they're sharing the gospel to the Jewish people, and, and they're they're really intrigued. And they they say, Hey, we want to hear more, come back next week and, and let's start this all over again. So a week goes by, the word goes throughout the whole entire city, people become intrigued about the gospel, they show up. Next week, there are the Jews, and right there, there is a kajillion Gentiles. Right? Just, I don't know if that number is in there or not, but, but there's a lot of Gentiles. And the Jews see the Gentiles there, and they become jealous. This guy's popular, and we're not. right? They're jealous. But look what happens here in verse 48. They share the gospel with them, and this is what happens in verse 48. It gives us a, another glimpse into the eternal. And when the Gentiles heard this, they begin rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many, listen to this, and as many as were appointed to eternal life, what did they do? What did they do? They believed. Already right here, we see God's grace and salvation absolutely precedes faith. Goes before go, goes before faith. Let's, let's go further. Let's go further. Let's go to Romans. Let's go to Romans chapter 9. We won't spend too much, too much more time, but we'll, we'll do this last one here, and I'll just tell you the other ones, and you can, you can look them up later. Romans chapter 9. In the context of Romans chapter 9, here is Paul the Apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Once again, he is in pain for his countrymen. He is in pain for his his brothers and sisters of Israel. And in the light of their condition, he is absolutely to the anguish that he is even wishing himself to be accursed that they may come to know Christ. That they may come to know Christ. And even in this passage here, we we see unpacked for us the eternal. Look at verse 10. We see the unconditional election here even to Israel and to the Gentiles. Verse 10. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purposes of election continue, Not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God, who has mercy. Some of you don't want me to stop. (laughs) According to God's mercy, right here, unconditional, before they were born, according to the purposes of election... And his will would be done. Rebecca was told that the older, or the younger, would serve the older. or the, I got that mixed up. The older would serve the younger. And that Jacob I hated, or Jacob I loved, I'm doing it again. Whatever, you got it, you can read it. I'm, I'm mixed up here. You know what it is. You know what I mean. Here it is, unconditional and the point of this is, is this: is not to give us some kind of moral superiority. It is not to make you proud like Jacob was. But it is an absolute humbling, absolute humbling of God's grace to save anyone by God's mercy and grace to save Jacob. Who was Jacob? Jacob was a jerk, you remember? God's mercy. God's grace. And so too with us. There's Romans 11. You can look at Romans 11, verses 5 through 7. Go go there. We're not going to go back there, but Romans 11. It continues in Ephesians chapter chapter 1. So some of y'all have a question, and I'm going to ask that question that maybe you want to ask. If God's election is unconditional... Does man have a free will then? We've all heard this term, free will. We've all heard it, right? Everybody? Anybody? Never heard of this. I even heard secular people who use the word free will. Well, we all have free will, you know. And here's the question that that, that comes to mind. I, I guess, does man have a free will? I affirm, man has a will. Absolutely. But is it absolutely free? Is it, is it absolutely free without any conditions at all? And the answer to that question is no. Anybody that is outside of Christ, your will is only free to do what your nature is causing you and leading you to do, and that is sin. So our 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 will is free to only do what? The sin. Is in in bondage, is in need, and if we had more time, we can go back into Romans and we can unpack this verse, verse by verse, and and really show you here what it means that our will is in bondage. And this is why, because of that bondage, because of that that deep sin nature, unconditional election is necessary, and it's biblical. We we've, we've, we've walk through it in the text, and it's biblical. So the object, we already talked about that, the object is the elect. Well, who, who, are, who are the elect? Well, we've been seeing in Ephesians that, that the, the church, the us, right, the, are those who are in Christ. But what we see here is that Paul, talking about unconditional election, he's not just talking about the corporate nature of the church, like all of us. Well, the, the elect are those who join the church, right? In a sense, there's a, there's a truth to that, but that's not the primary meaning by which he is bringing here because if we look ahead to verse 7, look ahead to verse 7 in Ephesians 1, he says, in him we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So here in the same passage, Paul's not just talking about the corporate identity of the body, but he's talking about the individual who are a part of the corporate body. So here we have the object of election. is the individual who is a part of the corporate body. Who's a part of the corporate body. So this affirms that that. All saved people, those who are saved, those who are in Christ, whether they are man, woman, boy, or girl, they were loved and favored by God before the creation of the world. So that those, so that God has chosen them. And He has chosen them from just condemnation that was due their way. They weren't special, they were due the same condemnation as the rest of the world. And yet He made them holy and He made them blameless. And this is a deep privilege, right? This is the deep privilege that we've been, we've been talking about, that this election is unconditional, it's undeserved. It is by his grace. i got an example of, of that, of, of the individual. I think I've used this before. Uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow is actually my wife, uh, Christina and I's anniversary, and wedding anniversary, 13 years. Uh, lucky number, right? Um, uh, 13 years. And if, if I was to show up tomorrow, and, and not to say that I'm going to do that because you know, money's a little tight right now, but that's okay. Um, uh, if I was to show up tomorrow with some flowers and say, honey, I hear some flowers, I'm so thankful. And, then I, and I mean this. I'm not just pontificating here. Um, I do say, I love you. I think you're just the, the, the greatest. Uh, I, I, I love you more now than I ever have, even when before we said. I do, and, and I hope you take these, these flowers and, and, and know how much I love you, just like I love every other woman in this world. How would that? All right, look at her face changed. She was smiling, and then she, she knows this illustration because I've used it before. How would that go over with anybody? Even those who are not married know that that's not cool, right? I, I think Aubrey even got that. She's like, that ain't cool. That ain't cool. Right? I mean, that is just not cool. But if I but if I change that and I said, no, I, I, there's there's nobody else for me. You are it. You are you are it. And and in the same way as we will see in Ephesians chapter five, God. We see Paul referring to the mystery of the gospel, which is this is part of the mysteries of the gospel. He compares it to marriage because he compares it for that very reason, that God loves his people, that particularly. That's why he calls them their bride. Does God love the world? Yes, and it's his creation. And do I love other women? Yes, but nowhere near like I love my wife. Right? Isn't that cool? I mean, does that make sense? I I mean, I I love you all, and I love you in Christ, and there's a very particular love that I have each for every one of you, but I guarantee you it's not the same as with my, my wife. And that is the love that God has, the deep privilege of God's sovereign, electing love toward us, toward those who are in Christ, toward us, the church, to the people, to the individual That it is toward us. And it was before the foundation of the world. There's other passages that talk about this. 2 Thessalonians, that is the time, by the way. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 9 also talk about the same things. That before the foundation of the world. In each time, the context is the exact same as, as Ephesians chapter 1. And that is worship. That is worship. Because worship is about humility. When you are singing and you're worshiping God, it means the opposite of what you're not doing. And what you're not doing is worshiping yourself. And here, before the foundation of the world, Paul says in worship that this is what God has done. To draw out our delight. to, to, To show you a glimpse of what God has been doing from the very, very, very before the beginning to bring about his purposes in saving me and saving you and to all those who are in Christ, to all of those who are in Christ before the foundation of the world. So as plain as it sounds here, I mean, mean, it doesn't get any plainer than what this text says about God's election toward us, and yet we still want to kind of downplay it a little bit. Well, it says this, but it doesn't really mean that. So what really is the problem? What what really is the problem here? And the problem here is this. Man's tendency to want God to be omniscient, right? We want God to be omniscient, to know all things, and to be about all things, as long as it doesn't violate my will, my own independent self, right? And we also want God to be omnipotent, meaning we want Him to be all-powerful. We want Him to be in control of all things, except for me, right? We want Him to do that. Because we don't want God to be sovereign. And by the way, our name of our congregation, Sovereign Grace, means we want God to be sovereign. And a God who is not sovereign, listen to me, a God who is not sovereign is not omniscient and is not omnipotent. He is sovereign in control of all things. And and that this is the point where we want to hymn and we want to haul and we want to limit God So that he can be subservient to my will and my being. But as we talked about earlier, the only thing that my will wants to do is choose hell and to choose damnation and to choose sin. And yet, God, by his grace before the foundation of the world, sovereignly elected, he is sovereign. And has been, and always will be. The purpose is so that we would be blameless and that we would be holy, that we would be blameless and, and that we would be holy. There's so many other verses that <laughs> you could say the same thing. Colossians 1 talks about this, verses 21: 22. Philippians chapter one, verses nine through 11. 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13 speak about the, 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 uh, the purposes of God's election and loving us and saving us so that we would be holy and so that we would be blameless. And this absolutely points to the, one of the very first sermons that we had in this book and that is talking about him calling us a saint. that he is making us holy. He has made you holy perfectly in Christ because his righteousness has been imputed to us as our unrighteousness has been imputed to him when he was on the cross. And therefore he has made us holy. He has made us holy. He has made us blameless. And we speak of now our holiness and the idea of this progressive sanctification means that it is about our moral purity. That as believers now we are pursuing this, this moral purity in the Lord. And then there's this blamelessness, and this is where I really want you to catch this, because it's so important about, in in the gospel, so many different areas, is that to be blameless is to be free from guilt and the trespasses of and sins that we formerly walked. Do you feel blameless? Do you feel feel blameless? J.C. Ryle said this, he said, Uh, The names and numbers of the elect are a secret thing, no doubt, which God has wisely kept in his own power, amen, and not revealed to man. It is not given to us in this world to study the pages of the book of life and to see if our names are there. But if there is one thing clearly and plainly laid down about election, it is this, that elect men and women may be known and distinguished by their holy lives. The purpose of election is for our holiness. is for your holiness. And here's, the really, here's just amazing to me. As a man who's, who, who does struggle with sin, and who has struggled with sin, and dealt with sin, given in the sin, that it has been God's intention from the very foundation of the world, for you, and for me, and for those who are in Christ, for the elect, it has been his intention from the foundation of the world, that you would be holy and blameless. And because of Christ, if you are in Christ, because of Christ, you stand before Him blameless and holy. Therefore, we no longer walk in sin and guilt. But we walk blameless and holy and upright. i got a little bit of time left, but I want to just answer a few questions. Answer just a few questions about this, about this idea of, of election. And, and I, I came up with, I think it's five, I can't remember now, the list is getting long. I think it's five reasons why, why people just, just, just don't like this doctrine or have a hard time with it. And the first one is, I, I think out of, out of priorities, I, I put them in priority. And, and, and I think it's because of emotive reasons, for emotional reasons, why people don't like this. And it goes back to what we talked about earlier. Is we don't like the fact that the idea, is God's choosing. Because, because we, we then tend to put it down to very, very personal levels. Very, very personal levels. Because we ask the question, well, what about Grandpa? We ask the question, what about Grandma? About our, what about my uncle? What about my friends? What about my family? What about them? You mean, you mean to tell me that if they are not of the elect, they cannot get saved? Now, from all that we talked about today, you know the answer to that question. But we put it in a way that's accusatory, that, that says, then God is not sovereign. Because the reality is, is, is listen, why would God save anybody? You, you say it in a way that's accusatory toward God as if, your uncle, your grandmother, and your grandfather, and your family, and your kids, they all deserve to be saved. That's the way it's questioned. And, and take God completely out of the picture as if he is obligated. Who is God obligated to redeem? None. And, and one of the points to this is, is, is this, is that you go to funerals, particularly in our area, and, and so many times, and... Um, In funerals, and I think, Richard, you probably got the best experience with this, is that all of a sudden, everybody, and Bill too, everybody all of a sudden becomes a universalist. Meaning everybody goes to heaven. No matter how they live their life. No matter what kind of, uh, or, or the lack of any kind of regeneration in their life, everybody's a Christian all of a sudden. And that's the thing like I said, what's taken out of the conversation all the time, and particularly in this discussion of election, is why would God elect any of us? I mean, me knowing me and me knowing some of you and some things about you, we gotta ask ourselves the question why would God do that? Why would he why would he do that? By his grace. That's number one. Reason number one is a motive reason. Number two is a holiness reason, which points to this passage. And we actually got this question this week. We got this question this, this week. And, and, and as it's an accusation toward, toward those who believe in election, as if it's not even in the Bible, or even predestination. Like, it's not even in the Bible, right? That the accusation comes here, is that if you believe in, in, in predestination, or you believe in election, which if anybody holds to the Bible and says it is an errant God's word, then it's in there. Right? the accusation that says, then, then you are going to be licentious. You're going to leave, live for yourself, and you're going to live for sin. Because you know that if God elected you, then there's nothing that can take you away. Now, how dumb is that accusation? No offense. I'm sorry. That was mean. I shouldn't have said that. Because we might have believed that. Because the purpose of election, as we saw, is for what? Our holiness. And for us to be, to be blameless. And here's the deal. It doesn't matter if you believe in it or not, if you hold to this doctrine or not, people are going to be given into sin. And this is just another real way to blame something else besides our own hearts and our own wickedness and our own nature. We want to shift blame, turn it back to God. God, if you haven't given, given me this woman, I wouldn't have ate of this apple. We want to shift blame back. So, holiness reasons. Number two, or the third one, is missional reasons, right? Well, if you believe in election, and you believe in predestination, then, 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 then you're never going to share the gospel with anybody. Because you, you believe that anybody's there, they're just going to become saved automatically, right? That's, we've heard that, right? I heard that. And, and here's. The foolish thing is, is as if the elect are walking around with signs on their back saying, witness to me because I'm the elect and I'm going to say yes to one of you. That is not the reality. That fatalistic approach and that accusation is an excuse. Now, I I know that there are people out there, I know that there are churches who hold to that. Right, And there's even a name for it. They call it hyper-Calvinism. And, and, and they believe that and they hold to it. I know. And you know what? I have been around the, these kind of circles my whole entire life. Not my whole entire life, but a good portion of my life. And guess what? I have never met one person who believes in the doctrines of grace. I've never met one person who calls themselves a Calvinist. I've never met one person who holds to election who's ever said that. I'm sorry for yelling. But who's ever said that? I mean, no one says that. If you do, it's easy to discount them because they're disobedient. They're disobedient. We are called to o- obedience here. Everything that we know about missions and the structure of missions and how missions is done, guess what, was started by people who believe in unconditional election. Everybody. Including, by the way, I put this in there including our beloved Lottie Moon. Held to unconditional election because of God's election, he she went to the nations. She went and she gave herself for the people of China because she believed that God's elector of all people, of all nations and of all tribes. So she went and she starved herself, giving up other people food, so that they may have one more day to hear the gospel. Election drives missions. Sorry. Uh, Lord help me. Okay. Uh, the, the the recent pre, uh, present church planting resurgence that we're seeing in our convention that we're seeing in our world today is also being driven by this deep affirmation of this doctrine. It is utterly foolish to believe that. And anybody who says that is, doesn't know the Bible. They are being absolutely disobedient toward the scripture, to the, to the scripture. And this is including us. We give to Lottie Moon. We will be doing missions. And we compel each and every one to share the Gospel with your friends, to share the Gospel with your family members, to share the, to the Gospel with the least of these. And to trust in God's sovereignty that He will save those whom He has elected. that gives you peace, doesn't it? Gives us peace and that and that the message that we share that God is sovereign over that. Number 4 is biblical reasons. People have biblical problems with this and of course we the, the biggest one we turned to John 3:16, we mentioned that earlier that if God so loved the world that he what gave his only son that whosoever believes might what not perish but have eternal life. And we already affirmed this, that God does love the world. He absolutely, there, there's no contradiction here. It seems like a paradox, but there's no, there's, there's no contradiction here between God's unconditional election and His, and his love for, for the world. And He has demonstrated a great love toward the world in sending us His Son. In sending us His Son. And he's displayed it to us so clearly, so clearly, And yet the world, most of the world, right, 99% of the world still rejects it. Still rejects it. Why? Was it because Christ's death on the cross was not efficient for all? No, it absolutely was efficient for all men to be saved. It it, it absolutely was, was a worthy sacrifice to atone for all sin. And yet, what we see here is that it is only sufficient for the elect. It is, by, it is only the elect that are being saved. It's exactly why, why Jesus is having that interaction with Nicodemus. That's why he says, You must be born again. Right? Because that's something you can't do. He even says, You mean I've got to get back into my mom's womb? Right? Saying that kind of jokingly. And he says, No. You've got to be born again. You've got to be born of the Spirit. And who does that? God. God. Second text that, that's pointed out. Well what about First Timothy chapter two verses three and four? It says this. It says this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of our of God, our Saviour, of our Savior, who is who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Right? We've heard have we heard that text? First Timothy? And and, and actually second Timothy three nine is about the same. I'll put those together. They're, they're about the same. And, and what we see here in that passage in context is what, what Paul's talking to, to Timothy. Is He's saying this, in Christian conduct, as you are living before the world, as you are living before your unbelieving friends and unbelieving family members and, and co-workers, you should be praying for them. And the foremost, he even says in verses 1 and 2, you should be praying for your, your leaders who are, who are lost. Because this is good, right? That's the good thing. This is good, and it's pleasing to God and our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come. So, first thing is, we've got to put it in context here. Context says something a little bit different. Context says that He's not speaking of eternity's past like you talked about before. What we see here is the desire of of God to have all men to be saved. I think is in the same as as this, right? I think God gave us the commandment, do not murder, right? Or do not, yeah, thou shalt not murder. Um, Thou shalt not murder. But do we still murder? Is there still murder today? Yes. Now, does that mean God didn't desire for there not to be murder? No. God still desires that we not kill each other. But does that mean that God is not sovereign? No. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's in the context, once again, is our response and how, and how we live. Our lives are to be lived out in such a way that shows God's grace to save them. Does that make sense? There's so, there's, there's so much. Next week, or not next week, because we have our... our um, our Covenant Sunday, but I want to, after that, to unpack some pastoral thoughts of election and what does that mean for us. But just to make a gospel connection, we're done. Okay, I promise we're done. From the very beginning, it has always been God's intention, His desire, and His plan to save His people by His sovereign grace. It has always been His plan, His intention, and He has accomplished that through His Son. God doesn't react. God didn't react to, this, to the sin of Adam and Eve. God didn't respond because there was a need of a savior, so he's like, ah, who do I pick? Oh, Jesus, you're good, go. No. When he said in the very beginning that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the snake, he knew that from eternity's past. He knew that from eternity's past. And as I said in the beginning, to understand unconditional election is to understand the gospel fully. To have a greater peace, to have a to have a greater joy, and to to take away, to cut that out, and to, and to separate it, saying that it is divisive. Now, now let's just be real. If you're gonna share the gospel with someone, don't go up there and, and start talking to them about predestination and election. How foolish would that be? That doesn't save people, right? I mean that I, I mean, I, I mean if that's not the the banner that we're wearing, that's not the t-shirts that we're wearing, right? But it is certainly the foundation by which we are standing. And it is certainly the foundation by which your life growing in holiness and blamelessness is growing. Is on that foundation of unconditional election. So to look away from it and to turn away, as much as it still hurts to think about, and to really deal with, find the deep joys of God's love towards you in this. Because it's all there. That was Paul's purpose that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Man has made it divisive, because man wants to assert their will above everything else. And I, I get this question all the time: How do you know that you're the elect? I've had people ask me that. I think Joel asked me that question one day. He's like, "How do, how do you know that? How do you know that you're of the elect?" And I, I just I remember looking at him and saying, "That's a good question." I said, "Do you love Jesus?" Yeah. Do you believe that he loves you?" He said, yeah. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Yeah. You've repented of your sins, turned toward him, right? He said, yeah. I'm like, dude, you're the elect, man. You have the marks of it. If he walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, swims like a duck. That's not in the Bible. I think Benjamin Franklin said that. Then it is. <coughs> And here's the thing, where we, we don't look back, like I, don't, I don't look back to my wedding day to know that I'm married. I can, and i got a piece of paper to prove it somewhere. Somewhere. I, I know where it is, I think. Everything's been jumbled up these days. Um, uh, I, what was I saying? Oh, okay. I, but I know that I'm married because of today. I know that I'm married because of today. Because my love for her today that proves it. And even right now, our, your, your, your election is not based upon a prayer that you prayed. It's not based upon you walking up and, sh- and shaking someone's hand. Your election is not even based upon your baptism. It's by God's grace. And the evidences of God's work of His grace is what's happening today. It's what's happening now. And there's another good thing we have brothers and sisters of Christ because we should be pointing out those evidences to one another because sometimes we can't see them. So how do you know you're of the elect? Right there. So I want to ask this last question. These last questions. We're done. i got, really, like four lines here. Are you in Christ? Are you a Christian? Are you growing in holiness? Have you repented of your sin and trusted in Christ for salvation by His grace alone? Is your faith In Jesus Christ. And I ask those questions this morning because I want this to be an open gospel message for those who are not in Christ that you can repent today and turn toward Christ and you can be saved. Absolutely. As Spurgeon said, I stand on the... He said this big pulpit or something. We don't have that. I stand firmly on those two truths that whoever confesses with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. And that I also firmly believe that God has sovereignly elected those who are in Christ before the foundation of the world. And they are not at odds, but they run parallel together, two sides of the exact same coin. So this morning, I didn't use you as an illustration if you need to repent. You can repent of your sin, trust in Christ today. And as a congregation, we will love you, we will pray for you, and maybe one day we'll even baptize you. If we can find a pool big enough. We will baptize you. Because we firmly believe the gospel message should be preached to all people, to all nations, and everywhere. And my my belief in this doctrine of election, it drives that. Because it's all by grace. And God deserves all the glory. And God deserves all the honor. And if it's anything of me, and if it's anything of you, then God does not get the glory, but you do. But God gets all the glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word, and I pray now that as we respond together that if there's one among us, or two, or three, or four, five, whatever it is, God, that your Holy Spirit, who is working and moving and wooing us this morning, that they would repent and trust in Christ as their Savior. He is the only one that can save. He is the only one that we pursue as our treasure. He is the only one that we pursue as our ultimate joy and I pray You would give the boldness and the Spirit to someone to stand and say, "Hi, I repent of my sin, and I believe in Jesus Christ. And Lord, that You would cause and bring about in this church a deep desire and longing for Your Word that is so true and so right and so good for us, that it was what propels us into our community. We don't stand piously, we don't stand in pride, but we stand humbly before the throne of God who has graciously saved us. We give you the glory and all these things. Bring clarity, Father, where there may be confusion to your glory and for our joy. Amen.